Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Tuesday as we continue our best of week here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve is always in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com, Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre-owned inventory, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Lots to get to to recap today from on our Best of show. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to replay our interview with Tony Knopp with Steve a few weeks ago, and this was really, really interesting, getting into... Yes, there will be Olympics this year, and there's a lot of politics going into it, so it could be tense these next couple Olympics. I found that very interesting, as well as the new mobile ticketing policies going into effect in the NFL next year. And he played a big role in that as well. So lots of good stuff coming up between Steve and Tony Knopp from a couple weeks ago in just a couple of minutes. Then at 3.35, we're going to replay our interview with Tim Kirchin from ESPN, a lot of issues in baseball right now, of course, with the foreign substance checking, but there still continues to be issues with replay. And, of course, there was at, towards the beginning of the season, of course, with the Alec Bone play, one of many well-known controversies surrounding replay this year in baseball. So we'll replay Tim Kirchin at 335 discussing that. Then the 4 o'clock hour, it's an all-Phillies hour. 406, it's going to be Phillies PA announcer at Citizens Bank Park, Dan Baker, who was now in the midst of his 49th season after missing basically most of last year with many different health concerns. So it's great to see him back in the booth, and that was a terrific conversation between Steve and Dan. So that's at 406. And then at 435, we'll replay our interview with Greg Murphy, formerly of NBC Sports Philadelphia, the sideline reporter for Phillies baseball. Now you hear him occasionally on the Phillies radio network over on Eagle 107. And, of course, he has just launched the new Phillies podcast sponsored by SBC Media Partners, Glove Stories with Murph. So he gave Steve the lowdown on what that podcast has been about through the first over a dozen episodes. I think they've reached now at this point. So we'll replay that interview to close out the show at 435. But first, let's kick things off with Tony Knopp from Ticket Manager and his great conversation with Steve a few weeks ago. My goodness, how time changes. Since the last yes. time we talked, we're going to have full fans for some fun games. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact yeah. we're going to do this and the, and the impact. Uh, so let, let me start with this. How much ground needs to be made up, and how long could it take to make up that ground? It depends on who the provider is. Um, if you are a sponsor provider, if you are a um, live events provider, a lot of those companies didn't have a whole lot of um, output over the pandemic. So they didn't, you know, they basically just furloughed their entire staff and they didn't run their music festivals or whatever else. If you're talking about, you know, businesses that are, you know, more well-known, you know, Live Nations, the Ticketmasters, the Learfield IMGs, the players like that, 
I mean, you know, these are businesses that were profitable uh, prior to the pandemic. Coming back online, they're not really going to start making real money probably until mid to late 2022. And that's what's going to bring them back to where they were, Um, which is why you're seeing such a large rush to come back. I mean, the event schedule is, the event calendar is almost doubled up because what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the events that didn't happen weren't actually canceled. Most people held on to their tickets. And so all of those have to be fulfilled first before they can start making money on new events. Makes a big difference. Now, the sports part of it. All right. Let's talk about the ticket boom. Are you sensing any hesitancy of fans of wanting to get back, or are you sensing that they're over the next couple of months that people are anxious to get back? You know, it's funny. It's... um. I'll say something that maybe somebody who talks a lot about our industry shouldn't say. Um, I think this boom, there, there is a massive boom, and it's going to continue for another year. And that boom is driven by um, the highest savings rates we've ever seen. So people weren't out spending their money. They weren't out vacationing. They weren't out doing those things. And so now you have this you know, unreasonable see- expectation of, I've got and all this money, I'm going to go spend it. Um, and so I think this boom checks. is going to hold. Yeah, yeah spend your... Spend your uh, your stimmy check, right? And I think that you're going to see, you know, pretty significant spending into live events for the next nine to 12 months. And then I think it's going to slow down a little bit. I don't think it's going to go into like a recession area for live events, but I do think we're going to get back to a form of reality. But I do expect high prices, high demand, high everything uh, through the next year's college football season, the NFL season, and, and all of the, you know, the diamond events, the Super Bowls, Masters, Final Fours. I think those are going to just have a big year between September and April, barring a fourth wave of some kind. All right, so now let's let's go to the next part, all right? The NHL is now expanded, so Seattle comes in, which means they've received about $1.15 billion in expansion fees from both Vegas and Seattle combined. Mm-hmm. Do you see the NBA and Major League Baseball going the expansion route because of quick cash capability? The problem, yes, but not the same between the two of them. Um, the the labor issues with baseball are so bad, I think they're going to have a hard time pushing through bulk expansion, especially considering what they just did with minor league baseball and you know cutting a number of teams and cutting some spending there. I think there is a big labor talk that's going to happen with baseball prior to an expansion, and I think you could see Oakland relocate, right? Oakland could end up in Vegas. I think basketball uh, has been laying the groundwork for that for quite a while. I think what, what, and what the NBA has done so, so well is they're starting to mimic the success that the Premier League's had um, in having the G League and in having you know, these cities that they can almost test for a little while before they turn them into, um, you know, premium cities that host an NBA team. But I think the NBA's labor situation, because they have revenue sharing, is so much easier for them. And their labor piece is a little bit better right now. I think they have a lot better prospects for moving into expansion than baseball does. But look, both, I mean, you cite the the money that the Seattle Kraken got, and you cite the money that the Las Vegas um, Golden Knights got, but, I mean, the, the D.C. United was just valued at $700 million. So there's definitely an expansion fee boom out there. The question is just 
how many billionaires are there that can buy the team in today's environment because now it's not just a question of is there a billionaire who can do it it's is there a billionaire who's not going to upset the populace the players and the labor force and that's and, and, and again you look at the group that was put together by Alex Rodriguez to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, they're right. not talking about keeping them in Minneapolis they're talking about sending them to Seattle which is a has been a prime bargaining chip in the NBA to get better arenas that if you don't go you can go to Seattle just like the NFL used Los Angeles is that correct yeah, and, and look, that argument, that, that bargaining ship has only gotten stronger with the wild success of the Kraken. The Seattle Kraken yeah. sold out quickly and easily. Um, more importantly, the corporate sponsorships they had there sold out quickly and at high levels. They are doing a very good job of kind of mimicking what happened in Las Vegas. We'll see what they do with the expansion draft. I think, uh, I think they made the Golden Knights a little too good too fast. They might pull back on that jazz pedal a little bit. Yes. But um, I think that that's what's going to happen. I think, you know, there's so much success in Las Vegas and Seattle that even if you move the Minnesota Timberwolves to Seattle, you now have Las Vegas as your bargaining chip, which the A's are already using. Vegas has a NBA-ready arena. They have everything that you need as far as facilities, and now you've already had the NHL and the NFL go into the city, which eliminates the stigma of sports betting around it. So, Yes, they've been using the Seattle chip for quite a long time. I think they might actually cash that chip now because they have Vegas in their back pocket. And uh, Nashville is growing as a city that people are considering for you know, those live events because the Predators have been so strong and the uh, Titans have done, done pretty well. Yeah, no question. All right, so now let's continue on the cash mode. Yahoo Sports and Pete Thamel reporting today something you and I have talked about. And as you know, I brought up the idea of 12 in the college football playoff back in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, we know that uh, athletic departments, for the most part, were running eight-figure losses for the, for the past fiscal year. Yeah. What, there aren't many avenues to make it up. Is the college football playoff, once this contract is up, a way to start making that up? Yes. And... Uh, there are some ways for them to make it up. Sports betting, uh, cannabis, those sorts of things that are, are going to be the slowest into college sports for every reason that we could all imagine. Um, there are different venues or different avenues for them. Uh, NFT, crypto, there's, there's new sponsorship channels that are opening up that are going to make them some money. But in the end, you know, you want to take the money. And, and, and just to, to, to make this as simple as possible, because we'll t- I'm sure we'll talk about the Olympics in a second, too, which is exactly what's happening there. All yes. that's really happening is these schools are saying, why are we enriching the bowl games? Right? We're, we're disrupting. We're making it so that the bowls are no longer standalone. They're starting to be consolidated into a college football playoff. And then we have a little bit more democratic way of spreading money around so that this isn't you know, a handful of schools, you can actually involve more schools, and therefore the rising tide raises all boats. Because if you have more teams in contention, you have more teams that can make money throughout the year. Because I think what the common fan doesn't pay attention to is they think, I don't need to see um, Central Florida in the playoff. I don't want to watch them play Alabama. But you probably do want to watch them play more than you would if they're going to the playoff in their games in November and December. Exactly. And that's what college football is looking at. See, we think the same way. I bet that's exactly what you and I were talking about. 
All right. Yeah. So now so let's they're, get they're, to looking, the... they're not looking at this and saying, we think the first round of the college football playoff is going to be super exciting. I hope it is, and maybe it is, right? I mean, yeah. none of us thought that Ohio State was going to win the title in the first year of the college football playoff when they had their third-string quarterback show up, and they did, right? And, and that team right. wouldn't have played in the old BCS formula. No, but exactly right. this comes down to how much more money can I drive out of regular season games, and this enables you to drive more money. It's the same exact thing that the NBA did with the playing tournament. Now, we get to the Olympics. Is this a come hell or high water deal for them? Because NBC sounds to me like they've told everybody, they're going, it's go time. They're going, it it's go- happening, it- yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's happening because the IOC holds all the cards. Nobody can stop them. All of these contracts are guaranteed. They're going to get their money one way or the other. And... You know, if we've learned anything from watching the IOC or FIFA or any of those international organizations over the last few decades, <laughs> they care about money and nothing else. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to say, look, you need to fill our coffers. Our contracts say that this is going to happen, so it's going to happen. And they are in a dicey situation. And look, they did it to themselves when you piggyback Beijing on Tokyo. Because now you have a threat in Beijing of sponsors saying maybe we can't be as active. Uh, I mean, there's not going to be any boycotts, but there's probably going to be some kind of activism while you're there. So if you're the Olympics, you're really not looking at another big payday until Paris. I mean, Milan is a great city, but summer games are triple what the winter games are as far as economic impact goes. And so I think it happens either way. And I think it just happens because the IOC says it happens. That's it, right? I mean, look, we want our money. We're going to run the games. Does this open the door to Tokyo getting 2032 as a makeup? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, what's, what, what was interesting that happened in our space over the last couple of weeks was, and we've known about it for months, that Endeavor won the bid for the hospitality um, contract for Milan, Paris, and Los Angeles. They bid a billion six on that. And the next bid was a billion three, and that was NBC. So for those who think that the Olympics are slowing down, it isn't. There's more money coming out of it, and they're disrupting what's happening with all of the different providers that are out there. If you're going to have that big a bid, and you're going to show enough value into that bid, as we start going into the games, right? Because their first games is going to be Milan. Um, I'm sorry, Paris. Uh, They're going to start to want to show that their success here and then you want to dangle that next carrot of the next package of games. And Tokyo is a sure thing. I mean, the one thing Tokyo really had going for it prior to COVID hitting was we were seeing just bonkers numbers as far as on sales for pricing, for demand, for hotels, for all of it. I mean, Tokyo was going to set every record under the sun. So they'd be crazy not to go back there in 2032 and try to get what they were hoping to get in 2020. Yeah, because that's what I've thought. There's, it was a makeup opportunity because essentially that's yeah. about what they did with Paris and L.A. They said, look, they both bid for in twenty four, so they just split them, gave one twenty four, the other twenty eight. Yeah, they're twenty eight. Uh, yeah, and look, it's not there's there's not no precedence for this. I mean, I know it's summer versus winter, but Beijing was two thousand eight, and now it's twenty twenty two. That's a fourteen year split, right? This is a twelve year split. It's not unheard of. No, it's not unheard of. Exactly right. Uh, the fans will probably not be able to go. So what does yeah. that do? Now, look, the driver's TV, and, and NBC's the biggest driver of all, but does that do anything to 
the games in terms financially, what kind of blow is it that they're, you know, we all know in Major League Baseball you need 40% of the gate, the NBA is about 35%. Yeah. What do the Olympics need normally? Well, the vast majority of the Olympics revenue comes from rights and sponsorships. Um, so they'll, they'll do just fine. But, yes, the ticket sales generally drives the local, gover- the local governing bodies a little bit better. So, you know, when you are – the way the Olympics works, I'm not going to go into too much detail on it, but the way the Olympics works is a lot of the ticketing is actually given out to each one of the countries, and the countries have their own organizations that they sell tickets through. And for total, um, total disclosure, we help sell tickets for – I think it's like 40 countries now. Um, so it's going to hurt the country's governing bodies, uh, the USOC, the USOPC, um, you know, Australia's governing body, more than it's going to hurt the actual event itself. Like, they do have the economic impact of it that you can imagine, but it also hurts all the local countries when you don't have the ability to sell the tickets into into the customers. And so I think there's still going to be sponsorship for it. I think, unfortunately for all of us, um, as if we haven't had enough politics over the past couple of years, um, <laughs> yeah. I think the Tokyo games and the, and the Beijing games are going to be the most political games we've seen in 30 years. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you about that. Um, yeah, the Tokyo ruling party, I mean, look, they the, the general public does not want to host the games. They, they've been very vocal uh, about it. I mean, every survey out yeah. there, 65 to 70% say this shouldn't happen, and they're going to lose more money on it. And then in Beijing, um, you know, there's a belief that you know, many of those who are in power now, you know, one of the crowns in their in their um, or one of the crowns in their in their uh, in their throne is that they were so successful with the Beijing Games of 2008, and this is an opportunity right. for you know the the challenging party to pull that throne to pull that crown out as well by making 2022 a dud. So, just get ready for a lot of very politically skewed stories around these two games. Yeah, no, well, no question. In fact, Beijing. There's been talk of boycotts, and look, oh, yeah. I, I, I know, I know two athletes personally that were in the '80 boycott. You know, athletes, yeah. all right, yeah. as well. They're Tony, the only ones so. who got hurt. Oh, exactly hurt. right. They're the only, the only ones that yeah. got hurt were their participants. Yeah, I don't think we'll see boycotts, but I think we'll see activism of some kind. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out because they don't have patience for that in China. I was there for the Beijing Games in 08 for a month. I've seen how they do things from, you know, behind the curtain. And it's, uh, <laughs> they don't have the same rules and the same um, belief in rights as we do. Hmm, I never would have known that. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, It was, I saw some things happen there that I just, you know, there's stories that we tell over drinks about suitcases full of money and automatic weapons and it was just crazy it was everything that you thought it would be in a corrupt international event was right in front of me uh of the sports in this country which do you think will come out of the pandemic in pretty good shape and I'll, i'll throw one out there now we know the nfl will so besides that, yeah, I was going to say the NFL is the easy one. Yeah, yeah, that's the easy one. My guess is, I think MLS comes out of this in pretty good shape. Yeah. Well, what helps the MLS the most is the uh, labor piece that they came to last summer. Um, yeah. You know what? What a lot of fans don't understand is a lot of these economics are really impacted by employee costs. Employee costs is, you know, the stars and the athletes. Um, the NBA is is driven by a lot more ticketing revenue than most people understand. So when you don't have fans for that long, 
the revenue that's being shared is difficult. And now you're going to have another conversation about what kind of revenue share there is. And, and the next time you do a collective bargaining agreement, there's going to be a, you're going to have a very long argument over force majeure, right? What is force majeure? What happens if the pandemic shuts it down? Because now we have precedence for this, that it's happened. And that puts them in a precarious position um, because that happens with their sponsors too. Uh, what, what MLS did, which is very well, I mean, first of all, MLS is an outdoor sport, which is very helpful. Um, yep. Not as a contact sport like the NFL. It's growing significantly. And most importantly, they have labor peace right now. And, you know, their feeder systems are very strong. They made a move the other day that most people wouldn't have noticed that might have slipped underneath the radar where they're starting to create a minor leagues that yep. um, playing into the MLS. So they're starting to create this system. The only question with the MLS is going to be how them being separated from the men's national team and women's national team's media rights is going to impact them because there was some belief that because those deals were packaged, MLS was getting more money. I don't, you know, since we just saw, uh, you know, the DC United valued at $725 million, I don't think that's a concern. Um, but who knows, right? But I do think the MLS is in, is in really strong, is in a really strong position. So is the NHL. I mean, look, for all the mistakes the NHL has made over the last 20-something years, um, not the they last really 18 nailed, months. They yeah, really not nailed the last expansion. 18 months. Yeah, I mean, the Kraken and Golden Knights are, were wild successes. And yeah. the product in the ice has been good. They have young stars. They have labor peace. Um, look, I mean, I was a casualty of the lockout of 2004. I was working for the LA Kings at that point. Yeah. And then they had another one. But look, when you come out of those wars and you have labor peace and you have a framework for that labor peace and now the pandemic happens to come out of it, again, the one thing that costs you the most money that's the most variable, which is, or the most uh, delicate, which is labor, you have solved where the other leagues don't. That's a good spot to be in. Right. G- Gary Bettman, to his credit, Tony, said, we're not going to go back until you, the players, tell me you're ready. If you say we're ready on July 20th, we'll go July 20th. If you think you can't be ready till August 10th, we'll go August 10th. Mm-hmm. It was like one of those, like, wow, this guy learned. And then they struck a four-year extension of their deal mm-hmm. with the players to go with new TV deals with ESPN, Turner. Yeah, they're back on the big, back on the big names yeah. again, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now one final question. All right now, let's go to something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. How well does college sports, football, men's basketball, come out of this? And how much time does it take to really come out of it in such a way where all sports are helped? I think college, the, I think the money, college sports, and that doesn't necessarily mean basketball or football because it depends on what school you're at, right? I mean, college basketball at some schools drives an inordinate amount of revenue, whereas at like a USC or a Penn State, it's an also ran to the football team. You know, those football teams are running eighty hundred million dollar budgets. Um, college football had its own problems going into the pandemic, and I think the pandemic weakens it significantly. I think um, you know the the passing of the NIL and the further empowerment of college athletes, which I'm totally aligned with, and I know you are too, yes. is going to create a circumstance where you know um, there, there's an interesting book a couple of years ago written by Kevin Kelly that talks about that most wealth isn't created, it's just moved. Like when you talk about something that disrupts an industry, all you're doing is moving money from one side to the other. And, yep. and that's what's going to happen. Is there's, there's this pressure on the college institutions as the money is starting to be moved from them into the athletes' coffers and into those that are around the athletes. And a lot of that money that's, you know, the dark money that 
you know the hundred eighty thousand dollars that goes to Cam Newton. That stuff comes to light, and you start to get you start to get value. So, I think right now you're in we're in a place where you're trying to create a consolidation of you know universities with the college football playoff at the same time that you're creating super leagues that are even less tied together than they've ever been. Right. right. The Big Ten is so healthy. The SEC is so healthy. The Pac-12 is teetering. The ACC is on its back. The Big East collapsed. Like, you know, we're really moving towards. And you know, I, I apologize to the to the listeners that I often point towards European soccer, but European soccer has just been around longer as a commercial yes. concern. So a lot of the things that they've experienced, we just are kind of moving our way towards. I worry that college football is moving in the direction of like Italian soccer or Spanish soccer as opposed to European as opposed to English soccer where right. the lower tier teams are just they cannot compete right they're they're they don't have the firepower they don't have the facilities I think Penn State will be fine I think USC will be fine I think the big schools will be fine I think you're going to have a real problem with the tier 2 college football programs because if they can't get through the next 2 years and they might not be able to make it you know, if they're not getting those TV contracts, if they don't have an opportunity to, you know, be anything but you know served up three days a week, three days a year, it's going to create an environment that might not be all that compelling to watch. My friend, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, need to do this more often, okay? Yeah, for sure. We're coming up on whiskey already. You guys got a great opener. I know you texted me about that, and that I can't wait. I, are you going to go? I might. I might. Dave's trying to get me to go, Ooh. so we'll see. I'm loving it. All right. We'll talk right, brother, again. We'll talk Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstores, ready for all of your warm weather activities. Camping, picnics, grilling, visit Brewers Outlet first. For microbrews, imports, domestic specialties, they got them. Grab some pickles at the Pickle Bar, Steve Jones's favorite place. Snacks, Brewers Outlet has that covered. Soda, sports drinks, check. Weekly specials, too. And there's lots of convenient parking. So get all the refreshments everyone will love for your next outdoor gathering at Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, Reagan Street, Sunbury. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Back here on the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Back to Trillo here with you. Steve is always in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, 
Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all-new pre-owned inventory, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. For this next half hour, we're going to start off with some baseball. ESPN's Tim Kirchin joined the show a few months ago talking about the issues of replay in baseball. Uh, my pleasure, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Oh, okay. Everything is good. I'm still covering games from the studio, but uh, we're doing the best we can. And you are doing the best you can, no question. All right, so let's... It's been an interesting week uh, with the bone play at home plate and the Michael Conforto uh, elbow in the strike zone. What are your thoughts on each of those two places? One's reviewable, one is not. But what were your thoughts on both those plays? Well, the umpires got them wrong both times, and that's unfortunate. Now, I am very much a pro-umpires guy, on the tiniest level possible, I umpired a million games when I was younger. I like to think I understand how difficult the job is, and the umpires do a great job, period. But the, the Conforto play, he clearly was hit by a pitch that while he was in the strike zone, and it was actually for a split second called a strike, and the umpires made a mistake. They should have gotten together, as they did, and someone should have said to Ron Culpa, the home plate umpire, I saw that as a strike. I saw him in the strike zone. But the biggest problem with the play is it's not reviewable. And all yes. we care about is getting everything right. And the rules should be should make that play reviewable. If we're going to review a guy stealing second and taking his foot off the bag for a millionth of a second, then we should have a rule in place where we can review whether a guy actually leaned into a pitch and got hit by a strike. That's a strike, and it should have been a strike out there. So that was my concern with that. The umpire should not have allowed that to happen. As for the Alec Bohm play, I watched it live. I thought he was safe. I thought he had beaten the play. But I'm watching it on TV, and it's close. It's bang-bang. But the replays, I thought, clearly showed that Alec Bohm never touched the plate. Therefore, he should have been called out. But they looked at every angle, and they still called him safe. And I'm not sure why. And I think they got that one wrong, too. So that just tells me replay is fallible, and we have to make it better. Yeah, I broadcast the Penn State Indiana football game, Tim. So I can I can tell you, I personally think replaced. There's some issues along the way. Uh, first of all, I'm in complete agreement with you on the umpires, or really any official. They 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 have so many calls that are bang bang in real time that that are correct. That my my admiration for them is off the charts. It doesn't mean they get everything right, because you and I don't get everything right. But I, I think that when I look at with the job they do, it's really hard, and they're really good at it. Yeah, I I totally agree, and that's that's the problem here, is that 
You know, a, a very wise friend of mine who lives in Washington, D.C., who's deeply involved in politics, says we have a, a saying here in Washington, when you try to make something perfect, you might not even make it better. And that's part of the problem with replay. Look, I understand we have to get calls right, but you're opening up a box when you have a replay system. And if you're going to have a replay system, it has to work exceptionally well every single night or else people are going to be upset about it. And that was the case here. Because when people have the technology that we have to see the plays that the umpire sees um, and we can look at it a hundred times over, that's where the problems come in and Twitter doesn't help things when 10 million people get on Twitter and say, how could you miss that call? I just don't know how in the replay system they couldn't see that he didn't touch touch home plate and that that's the problem with that play right exactly exactly right uh all right so early season uh, in this season certain guys have been hurt fernando tatis jr for example what has been a theme early that has interested you so far well we've had some teams that we did not expect to be any good who have won a bunch of games already the reds are the highest scoring team in in baseball and they were not supposed to be a particularly good team this year the orioles swept to the the red sox right out of the gate and that certainly wasn't supposed to happen um and then of course the red sox who looked so terrible the first three games have now won six games in a row. So it's just another reminder what Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves, told me. He said, I hate the beginning of the season. I hate it because everything is so magnified, good or bad, that people get so out of shape about things. They overreact on so many things because the Braves lost their first four and then won their next four. So I think that's just another reminder. We need to give a 162-game season a chance to find its rhythm and not get too hot or bothered about anything this early because we've had a lot of surprises. But this is baseball. That's the beauty of the sport. It rarely ever follows any sort of script. Well, something that hasn't followed script always has been Aaron Judge. Boy, when he plays, it's not just the home runs, but I love how he plays defense, angles, his arm. But he's not in the lineup all the time. When you look at him, Tim, what are you seeing as a player, and what about the recurring injuries? Well, he's a he's a really, really good player, and he's wildly athletic, and he really cares, and he really tries. But he's really big, too, and it's not a game built for somebody who's 6'7", 282 pounds. I've done all the research on really tall hitters. And it's a very, very short list of guys, 6'6 or taller, who have had really good major league careers. And baseball is a very simple game in order to get injured. And because it's such a skill sport that if if you break a finger, you can't play baseball. If you can't run, you can't play baseball. And Aaron Judge has had his share, even though he's as big as strong a guy as you'll ever see. But... Um, I would be a little worried about his injuries. He's, you know, he hasn't played more than 112 games since 2017, and that's a problem. But I don't think what he has now, which he's playing through, is anything major, and I don't think this is anything to particularly worry about. But 
the Yankees can't make the playoffs, I don't believe, this year unless he's good and plays all the time. And one of the great underrated parts of our best players is durability. Do Are you able to go out there all the time? And Aaron Judge has had a hard time doing that, but he's still too young and too athletic for me to say, all right, this is a real problem. He's going to get hurt every year for the rest of his life. I'm not going there yet. Now, now about Shohei Otani. Uh, obviously, contrary to popular belief, I was not alive when Ruth played, so, <laughs> so I, can't, I can't get into that part of it. When you watch somebody that can throw one-on-one and hit one for 21, what are we seeing in him? Well, we're seeing a once-in-a-generation player. I mean, Babe Ruth was really the last guy that did anything like this. But even Babe Ruth, in his own right, just wasn't pitching every fifth day and playing another position while he was pitching. He still pitched after he gave up pitching, but it was was irregular. He wasn't in a regular rotation. So what Otani's doing really has never quite been done like he's trying to do it. And if you can hit a ball that's thrown 100 miles an hour and the exit velocity is over 100 miles an hour and you can throw 100 miles an hour, you're the only one in the game that really can do that. And that's why I think he is a physical freak and I think they should try to play him on both sides, let him pitch and let him hit when he's not pitching or even when he is and just see how it goes. Now his health, of course, is the most important thing. If he keeps getting hurt, you can't let him do both. But as long as he can stay healthy, he is such a a weapon in both ways that I say ride this out until he says, I can't do this anymore, or until he he gets hurt enough where you say, all right, this doesn't make any sense. But we haven't seen anyone like him. Let's keep watching it until it doesn't work anymore. And part of him not working is the fact that, and this happens to pitchers, it's not because he's doing both, but he missed his last start with a blister problem. Uh, are the Angels concerned that it could be a recurring problem? Well, blisters are always tricky. And, you know, Jim Palmer explained to me a long time ago what the field needed to throw a baseball, to spin a curveball, throw a slider the right way. If one of your fingers simply isn't working because you have an enormous cut on it from a blister, you can't be an effective pitcher. And sometimes those blisters come back. Guys have been dealing with that forever. I don't think this is anything major, but it can be recurring because just when you think, all right, he's over the blister, it tears open again, and there goes his effectiveness or some of it as a pitcher. So I'm not going to get worried about one blister, but with more and more injuries to all of our pitchers, it's something you always got to keep your eye on. Finally, Tim, uh, obviously it seems like it's, it's a week-by-week basis, but has ESPN given you guys any idea when they might open the door to letting everybody back in the ballpark to work games? <clears throat> well, we're hoping and we're guessing after the All-Star break we'll hopefully be back in Major League ballparks. Now, look, I'm the happiest guy in the world that I get to cover baseball, whether it's from my home yeah. or from a studio or from the ballpark, but there is no substitute no substitute for being at the ballpark so i can't wait i can't i mean i love the way i I get to do my job now but i can't do it as well unless i'm at the park i wander around talk to as many players coaches managers as i can and without that freedom it's i'm not doing the same job but 
we're hoping that things are going to clear by this summer and it's going to be safe and open for all sorts of broadcasters and writers to go to the ballpark safely. And I'm, I'm hoping that day comes sooner rather than later. We hope so, too. Tim, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your valuable time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you. So another great conversation, as always, between Tim and Steve. And much more baseball coming up in the final hour of the show. All Phillies, Dan Baker, the Phillies PA announcer at 4.06. Then Greg Murphy at 4.35, replay of that interview, all coming up next hour. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com as we continue on a best of the Steve Jones Show here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.